It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Saturday, February 19th, 2022. I'm Jared Halpern. President Biden ratchets up his warning about a Russian invasion of Ukraine. As of this moment, I'm convinced he's made the decision. We have reason to believe it. But Congress isn't applying new sanctions pressure yet. From a, a political standpoint, this is a winner to some degree for Republicans who can sit and say, oh, look, we would have been really tough on Russia. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. President Biden says the decision has been made by Russian President Vladimir Putin to invade Ukraine in the coming days. As of this moment, I'm convinced he's made the decision. We have reason to believe that. That answer was given at the White House Friday evening, the president citing intelligence that points to an invasion, including attacks on the Ukrainian capital of Kiev. If Russia pursues its plans, it will be responsible for a catastrophic and needless war of choice. U.S. officials are also dismissing what they call false flag operations and fabrications of threats to Russians in eastern Ukraine as a pretext for invasion. All of these are consistent with the playbook the Russians have used before to set up a false justification to act against Ukraine. After President Biden spoke Friday evening, I spoke with Fox News national security correspondent Jennifer Griffin about the intelligence assessment and that new dire warning from the White House. That's based on a wide array of intelligence. The Pentagon certainly is seeing the same thing and is in lockstep with the president, the CIA, the intelligence community, Western intelligence services. I've spoken to many NATO allies this week, and they're all seeing uh, the same thing. So yes, this is based on the intelligence. But I would also point out, Jared, that unlike uh Unlike past uh, situations where maybe we've had to rely on the CIA or intelligence agencies to tell us something that is happening or what we're seeing, we're seeing in plain sight what is happening. You can see through commercial imagery. You can see on the ground. Putin is telling us what he is doing. Uh, the array of, of forces that he has is unprecedented in terms of the scale, the type, the the type of uh, ballistic missile units, the Half of his air force has been deployed now down to the Ukraine region. All of his special force units have been deployed. Um, the, the number of uh, battalions, the tactical battle group battalions, he's got 125 of them. We've just learned tonight that 40 to 50 percent of those 160,000 plus forces that he has arrayed on the borders with Ukraine have now moved into attack positions. That is an actual uh, term that the military uses to mean that they are now fueling up those tanks. They are they are sleeping out in the field. They are just kilometers from the border. They've not been given the go order per se, but they are prepared and they are within striking distance of the capital, Kiev. There is still a diplomatic off-ramp. The president offered it to Putin tonight. That's why he was speaking directly to Putin as much as he was to the American people. And he said that uh, Antony Blinken, the secretary of state, will meet with 
Sergei Lavrov, the foreign minister of Russia on Wednesday, if Russia does not invade Ukraine. But unfortunately, the signals tonight, the signs tonight all are pointing uh, towards uh, a likely invasion in the coming coming days. And the invasion, I am told, uh, looks to be uh, significant. I should point out as we're having this conversation, as listeners may be listening throughout the weekend, we are having this conversation at uh, a little bit after six o'clock in the evening here on Friday. So about an hour and a half after President Biden uh, wrapped up his his remarks. And, and I say that only because this seems to be changing very quickly, maybe even hour by hour, Jen. So uh, moving forward, if this invasion happens and it is of the the, uh, you know, array that, that it is believed that it could traveling into Kiev, Kiev being attacked. What does that look like? And then what would that mean for U.S. forces in Eastern Europe? Well, it won't mean anything for U.S. forces in the sense that the president has been very clear that no American troops, no NATO forces will go into Ukraine. This is a different situation than we found ourselves in the Middle East. These are two nuclear-armed superpowers, and they are not going to waltz into a war or get baited into a war. What the U.S. and NATO is trying to do is trying to tell Putin that if he does carry out this very significant invasion and overthrows the the government of Ukraine, that this enters then the next phase, which will be very significant sanctions, complete ostracization. It will it will mobilize. It's significant tonight that the president, before he called NATO allies to update them on uh, what the U.S. is seeing and, and what their assessment is at this time, he called a bipartisan group of lawmakers on the Hill. The And he, he this is a, a moment in which pre, the it is such a serious situation as we speak tonight that um, there is a bipartisan support of the president from lawmakers that I've spoken to. Even his harshest critics have seen they have been given in the last two weeks the same uh, intelligence that the president has on what is being built up, what you can see in terms of satellite imagery. You asked me what it would look like if once this begins. And one of the things we've reported tonight is that the destabilization campaign, that disinformation campaign, possible false flag operations, all of that has begun, I'm told, according to a senior U.S. defense official. And we've started to see evidence of it. Nothing that the, the, that the Pentagon or the president or the intelligence community has said so far has not uh, proven to be true. Uh, they have laid out what Putin's plan was for several weeks. They, they gave classified briefings on the Hill. And anyone who was in those briefings uh, understands that what we're seeing right now in terms of the destabilization, the disinformation, the some of the false flag operations, the media in Russia starting to suggest that Russians are facing genocide in the Donbass region, all of that is designed to give Putin a pretext to go into Ukraine. This weekend, you're going to see, in fact, tomorrow, uh, President Putin is overseeing a nuclear strategic exercise, a naval exercise, an air exercise down in the Black Sea. That's significant because that exercise was supposed to take place in the fall. It was moved up to this time period. And it is definitely a signal from Putin to the West, to NATO, not to get involved in Ukraine, to remind them that he is a nuclear power. 
So let's talk about what the 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 plan here is. If there is an invasion, does Russia then intend, does Putin intend to occupy Ukraine? If he goes for his maximum option and he has put into place a enough of an invasion force that it looks like he is going for that maximum option, if he does that, then yes, he would require an occupation force. And that we saw tonight. Putin uh, ordering the Russian reservists to uh, to to get ready. That is significant because that was one of the tripwires that we were told to look for. When Putin mobilizes the reserve force, that suggests that he may need them as an occupation force. Uh, what we've been told to expect right now, we are in that that softening up phase, if you will. The disinformation will begin. You'll start seeing some cyber attacks once the troops are ready to actually cross the border in the 24 hours before that, even within the 12 hours before that, we expect, expect in the sort of wee hours of the night that there will be a massive cyber attack on Ukraine. All of the, they'll essentially turn the lights out. They will take, all the communications will go down. Satellites will be struck. GPS, uh, they will use electronic warfare, which they have positioned right now in Belarus along the border significant electronic warfare capability to basically stop all cell phone and satellite activity and stop the communications of the Ukraine military and the Ukraine government. That is going to happen, I'm told. And if you're in Kiev, I've, I've been told that you should go underground immediately and stay underground until all of this is over, which could be up to two weeks, um, into a subway system if you can. Think Blitzkrieg uh, during World War II. Think shock and awe during the Iraq War. Those initial hours, initial days are going to be incredibly bloody. I'm told that they are expecting up to 50,000 civilian casualties, not to mention the one to five million refugees who are expected to pour into Europe, pour into Poland. The Polish government and military are preparing checkpoints as we speak along the Polish border. And that's why the 82nd Airborne is in Poland right now. Is there a lesser option? Is there something that, that you know, the, the Pentagon intelligence sources think is sort of a, a lesser invasion option, if, if that's the right there way to, to phrase it? Yeah. No, think of this as a menu of options. And even if he starts down one course, let's say the tanks begin, it's not, it doesn't go on autopilot. He could turn it off. He could shift it. He could say, we're only going to stay in Donbass. We're only going to take uh, the breakaway areas. There are options and there are a range of options. He, Ideally, he's hoping that the government collapses before he has to send the tanks and troops in and that he could take over. But that's not what he's arrayed for right now. So there are lesser options. He could take it. And as it was explained to me, and this has happened, the U.S. military has done this in the past, that even after the orders are given, they can be reversed. Sometimes, you know, paratroopers can be midair. And they can be sent back if there's a breakthrough or if there if Putin gets what he wants. The problem is NATO is unwilling to give him what he wants. And what he wants is he wants to create uh, vassal states out of Ukraine and Georgia. He wants them never to be included in NATO. Uh, he wants to roll back NATO so that Eastern European countries like Poland and the Baltics uh, and Romania, that they are no longer members of NATO. He wants all sorts of promises. So he's looking at maximalist positions. And he stated last July, he gave a speech in which he outlined how he believes that Ukraine is part of Russia historically. And 
back in 2007 at the Munich Security Conference, he gave indications that this was his aim. And then in 2014, he started gobbling up parts of Crimea. He thought he could do, he thought he could put a puppet government into Ukraine back in 2014. But remember those protesters in, in Ukraine came out for the Maidan revolution. And what's significant about February 22nd, which is next week, is that is when his chosen puppet, Viktor Yanukovych, fled to Moscow. He thought he was going to control Yanukovych and instead Yanukovych fled and the people of Ukraine stood up. So this is going to be complicated. But right now he has he didn't have the kind of military set up and he didn't have the modernized military that he has today uh, back in those er those earlier time frames. Right now he has put everything he has on the border with Ukraine and it does not look good. The concern here at the Pentagon is palpable. Let me finish with this, because uh, obviously, you know, we, the U.S. is not going to have a military presence and this NATO is not going to have a military presence. But you have uh, a NATO force now in Poland, which borders uh, Ukraine, borders Belarus. You have forces in, in Romania that, that borders Ukraine. Is there worry of spillover? Is that something that the Pentagon has, has talked about? There's always worry of spillover when you start a war. Wars don't always go as planned, and there are always unintended incidents and, and um, things that occur. That is why you saw the warnings about cyber uh, security here in the U.S. for banks and for individuals to change their passwords on their banks and, and, and to, to maybe have some cash uh, from ATMs so that they, they uh, in case there's some disruption to the networks here. Now, nobody that I I've spoken to believes that Russia would intentionally target the U.S. in a cyber attack if they're going after Ukraine, because that would be considered, you know, that could be considered an act of war. And that is something Russia does not want to mobilize NATO or the U.S. But there's unintended consequences. What they're going to unleash in terms of a cyber attack to blind the Ukrainians that can can be released. And we saw with Nonpetia that that ended up in Europe. That ended up hitting FedEx here in the U.S. So these things have a way of getting out of control. We've never been in a situation like this where cyber would be used in this way in, for such a massive invasion. And that is why you're seeing the, the, the uh, warnings from CISA, the critical infrastructure agency that was set up uh, to protect the country's critical infrastructure here in the United States. Banks are concerned. They've been briefed about how to protect their systems. There's a great deal of concern that we are in unknown, uncharted territory tonight. All right. We'll continue to, to follow this. I know you'll be following this very closely. Uh, Jen, I know it's been busy for you. I appreciate you making some time. Thanks, Jared. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The U.S. Congress won't slap sanctions on Russia, at least not this month. The Senate adjourned this week after passing a short-term spending bill, but unable to reach a bipartisan agreement on sanctions legislation tied to Russia's military buildup near Ukraine. Before leaving town until February 28th, 
The Senate unanimously approved the non-binding resolution reiterating unwavering support for a secure, democratic and independent Ukraine. But what has hung up a sanctions bill when support for Ukraine and condemnation of Russian military aggression is unanimous? That's where I started with my colleague covering Capitol Hill, Fox News congressional correspondent Chad Pergram. It's a couple uh, of reasons there. Uh, number one, you have the White House asserting to Democrats and Republicans, and, and some Republicans actually agree with this position. It's just not Democrats backing up their president, that uh, the administration has the power to do sanctions on their own, and doing it now might undercut uh, President Biden. Uh, that's one part of it. This is where it gets a little strange. This whole thing is laced with politics over the Nord Stream 2 pipeline that goes through, uh, you know, Eastern Europe, providing natural gas and energy from Russia to Germany. And there is some concern by the Germans if they were to impose these sanctions, the United States, uh, you know, and there's a way that maybe the administration can do them in a way that is different from the United States Senate, that that could really hit the German economy, say the rest of Europe. And then guess what, Jared, you know, that if, if the European economy goes south, that hits the American economy. And you know where the American economy is right, right now, and you know what happens in November, and you know which party is in charge in Washington. Well, let's so, talk a, I mean, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the Nord Stream setup, though, because, you know, the Biden administration has made clear they don't like the Nord Stream pipeline, but they deferred ultimately to Germany to make their decision on whether or not to move forward. Sanctions that the United States would impose would not be on the pipe. I mean, the United States doesn't control construction of the pipeline. What they're talking right. about sanctions on operators of the pipeline. So that could be both Russian and German entities, right? That's right. And, and, and you know what? This has not been said to me, but something distinctly changed about a week and a half ago when Chuck Schumer and I asked him this, the Democratic leader in the Senate, and I said, you know, what happens if Russia invades and you have not finished your work and, and passed this bill, you know, to sanction uh, Russia? And he said, well, the idea of the sanctions would be a deterrent. Well, that hasn't happened yet. But he said something else a minute or two later. He said, you know, we were all at the German embassy for a reception and, and you know, made the case that, you know, this needs to be bipartisan. There is definitely some communication that's going on there to senators and the administration from the Europeans that are expressing concern about getting this out out the door, you know, mm -hmm. some bipartisan sanctions bill. And fr from a, a political standpoint, this is a winner to some degree for Republicans who can sit and say, oh, look, we would have been really tough on Germany, um, excuse me, on Russia. Mm -hmm. We would have been really tough on Russia. We would have hit, you know, Vladimir Putin where it hurts. Uh, the, you know, and so that's why immediately, as soon as the president concluded talking a few days ago, you saw all of these Republicans releasing their sanctions bills. Right. You know, when you're in the minority, you can release you can anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. You can do a lot of things right. because you don't have any of the responsibility. And well, you also where, don't have the ability to actually force a vote on it. That's right. But you can say this is how we would have done things if we were in charge. But here's something that uh, I've that's heard. the case. They're going to make this November. Well, here's something I've heard, though, from both Republicans and Democrats. And I think you have as well, Chad, is that this Senate sanctions bill isn't necessary for the president, for the administration to impose really severe penalties on Russia. In other exactly. words, they, the president doesn't need new authorities, does he? And this is no, not, not exactly. I mean, you could do it that way. But that's where a lot of people thought uh, this was an opportunity. You know, and Rob Portman, the Republican senator from Ohio, said, let us be the bad guy, meaning meaning mm. Congress. Uh, and again, that probably looks good 
uh, to voters on both the Democratic and the Republican sides of the aisle because they can say we're the ones who are really cracking down on 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 Vladimir Putin. You know, by the same token, though, maybe if you're a Democrat, this has been intimated to me, uh, they might say, you know, if we act and the president does not, that makes President Biden look a little bit weak. Uh, Mm -hmm. Frankly, they are still reeling from how Afghanistan was handled last August and that chaotic exit. And Republicans are more than happy to pile on and say, and and Mitch McConnell, the minority leader, said this uh, just the other day. He said, I have no doubt that, you know, Vladimir Putin would not be at the Ukrainian gates were it not for a better exit plan uh, for Afghanistan, you know, from the administration last summer. The other aspect of the sanctions bill, as I understand it from a brief conversation I had with uh, the foreign relations chairman, Senator uh, Menendez of New Jersey, is they are still trying to sort of work out uh, the timing of it. Right. Would these be post invasion, pre invasion? Yes. And and that's and and that's key. And, 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 you know, and that's that's the other thing, you know, where Chuck Schumer talked about this being a a pre invasion deterrent. Uh, There is one school of thought. Uh, and again, this is why it's hard because you don't know what's coming in on intelligence cables and what's speculation and what's not. But there is a school of thought here on Capitol Hill that, you know, had the United States Senate uh, gone ahead with this sanctions bill. And keep in mind, the House is not here. So, you know, you're not, you know, the Senate just can't right. sanction you. You know, you have to have both bodies aligned. So this might be a little bit of a an empty, you know, threat. You need the House and Senate together. Had they gone ahead that that would have increased the potential for cyber attacks on the United States. Mm. Remember what happened not too long ago with the Colonial Pipeline mm-hmm. uh, or, or other cyber infrastructure. So this is a concern, you, you know, that, that you want to appear tough, but you don't want to invite something. You, you know, you know, battles in the modern warfare are just not fought on the battlefield in Europe or someplace mm-hmm. else. Uh, they are fought you know, in digital terms right now, zeros and ones uh, across cables and things. And that's really what we're dealing with. And that would be the threat here in the United States. Let's switch gears a little bit, because there was another moment uh, of uh, anything but bipartisanship again on that theme of it seemed like everything was sort of moving in tandem here in the Senate. Uh, Senate Republicans did something uh, rare this week. They boycotted a meeting in the Senate Banking Committee. Um, to prevent what votes on the Federal Reserve nominees. That's right. So you have Jerome Powell, who right now is chairman pro tem of the Fed because his term actually expired some weeks ago. Uh, so he's not actually a confirmed you know, position mm-hmm. right now. So President Biden went ahead, renominated him uh, to the consternation, frankly, of many liberals who thought he was a little too cozy. And this is a, quote, Republican nominee. And then Leo Brainerd. Uh, who was the progressive choice to be the vice chair, and then Sarah Bloom Raskin uh, to be the Fed regulator of banks. Uh, those are the three that they really went after. Uh, Sarah Bloom Raskin is the wife of uh, Jamie Raskin, the Democratic representative from Maryland, who was the Trump impeachment manager in the second impeachment trial. And so what happened here, if they're bottled up in committee, you cannot get them to the floor. Well, Republicans are saying that they are too radical, This is something that Mitch McConnell said. Mm -hmm. They took issue with uh, Sarah Bloom Raskin in particular, saying she seems to be the the reason that this boycott happened because she has there's some questions about some investments and some work she did when she was out of government. Yes, that that's true. But also something that she said about what the Fed should be regulating Mm -hmm. when it comes uh, to climate change. 
thought the Fed should be more involved in that. Mitch McConnell said that is not the jurisdiction, not the aegis of the Fed, you know, so we don't like that at all. So the Democrats saw an opening here politically. They are worried about inflation. In fact, Chuck Schumer said in March, and again, that's you know a couple of weeks from now, the Democrats are going to address inflation. Of course, there are some people saying, why didn't you address inflation last year? But the real body in Washington that can deal with inflation is the Federal Reserve. And if you look at their minutes from their January meeting, they have indicated uh, and signaled that they probably will raise rates come uh, March to tighten the money supply and try to tamp down inflation because Democrats are getting the tar kicked out of them over inflation, mm -hmm. mainly because they passed that big COVID bill on their own last March, $1.9 trillion. So the best friend of the Democrats now is the Federal Reserve. They love <laughs> right. the fact, love the fact that the Republicans are holding up these Federal Reserve nominees. Now, I don't know that the average voter gets all that. But it gives Democrats a little bit of an opportunity to make the case about inflation. Uh, John Tester, Democrat from Montana, said every day we hear uh, Republicans going down to the Senate floor and complaining about inflation. And then when it's time to actually vote on members of the Federal Reserve, who, whether you like them or not, have the power to address inflation, they don't even show up at the meeting. So, you know, the Democrats have pirouetted to that. The Federal Reserve is now the best friend of the Democrats. I mean, and the theme of the week has sort of been everything's up in the air right now. So these Fed Reserve nominations up in the air, certainly what the United States does and what Russia does very much up in the air. Oh, and, and we haven't even gotten to the biggest thing that's up in the air yet. A Supreme Court nominee. Oh, right. A Supreme Court nominee. <laughs> and that we expect probably right as the Senate's returning, right before the president delivers a State of the Union on March 1st. That's going to put everything on hold, won't it? As you know, well, I don't know that it puts everything on hold. But what it probably does is it commands all of the news oxygen. <laughs> yes. And it depends who it is. All and, of and the so oxygen. That's it'll what, depend that's who's right. nominated, what stories come out. So imagine imagine <laughs> the Democrats trying to fight through this battle politically. And there is a, a black female nominee, which is what we're told, we're, mm -hmm. you know, the president is going to tap. And they're trying. And so there's a lot of, 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 you know, news coverage of that. And it's historic, whoever this person is. And they're trying to roll out something to deal with inflation. And that gets covered up because they're dealing with that. And then, of course, the Republicans, what they'll probably do, at least some, the Josh Hawley's and the Ted Cruz's and others, whoever the nominee, and they've pretty much already signaled that they're going to do this, that that nominee is going to be too woke. It was too mm -hmm. woke of a decision by the president to promise, uh, you know, to nominate an African-American woman, uh, you know, that that's something he shouldn't have said. He should just be, be picking the best jurist and so on and so forth. So any conversation about inflation goes by the wayside because that's what everybody is going to be focused on. And and it's hard to get any other traction uh, beyond that. I mean, I mean that's, a, that's a problem for the Democrats. It, it's a boon in the sense that it probably really revs up their voters, especially if this turns out to be a Donnybrook. And I will say this about these nominees and these confirmation processes. Usually, and we've, we've come to think that these are pretty bad battles here in Washington over the Supreme Court. That's not really true. Uh, when you go back over the, about the past 30 plus years, the really bad battles were over Robert Bork in 1987, who actually was defeated on the floor, mm -hmm. which is pretty rare for a Supreme Court nominee. Clarence Thomas in 1991. Oh, and by the way, the chair of the Judiciary <laughs> Committee then was President Biden for both of those. 
And to a lesser degree or a larger degree, really, uh, Brett Kavanaugh mm-hmm. in 2018, it really didn't have these skirmishes quite as much with Amy Coney Barrett and Neil Gorsuch. She kind of had some other things. The fact they had to kind of change the Senate procedure mm-hmm. for Gorsuch, the fact that Amy Coney Barrett was nominated and confirmed just before the election. So but fast, these were yeah. these were not battle royales. And so we don't know what we're in for with this. But I will I will I will tell our listeners to look for one thing. What happened with both Kavanaugh and with Clarence Thomas is that they had had the hearings in the fall of 91 and in 2018, Thomas in 91, Kavanaugh in 2018, and they had to go back and reopen the hearings about three to four weeks later because they found out things about them. And so if you stay away from that phenomenon, you know, whoever the nominee, there's not something in their past that's lurking. You usually don't have these Donny Brooks of confirmation processes, but we don't know who this person is. We don't know yet. So maybe get ready in March. Well, on that note, Chad, uh, get some rest this weekend. <laughs> it's going to be uh, a wild uh, month, it sounds like, on the Hill. Tomorrow on the Fox News Rundown from Washington, reporting from Moscow as European and American diplomats try to prevent a potential land war on the continent. And House Republican leaders took a highly unusual step this week, endorsing the primary rival of Wyoming Republican Liz Cheney. We'll talk about that political dynamic. Until then, I'm Jared Halpern. Thanks for listening to the Fox News Rundown from Washington. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.